I don't know, we will pray for you. It really ministered to my spirit this morning. I'm thankful that you you play those old hymns, amen? Thankful that we don't have a drum cage. <laughs> you see, you're just jealous because you can't play. No, I can rap a tap pretty good, but man, that's good and that pleases the Lord. Joshua chapter 4 this morning, if you have a Bible... Joshua chapter 4, sure glad you came, pray the Lord will fill you right up this morning. Joshua chapter 4, and when you find Joshua chapter 4, have you stand, we'll read the chapter here, preaching through the book of Joshua, the best that we know how, Joshua chapter 4. The Bible says here in Joshua chapter 4 in verse 1, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command you them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. Not the message this morning, but you notice that? The people hasted and passed over. If that thing's a picture of a resurrection, I'll tell you what, the moment you get saved, you ought to go after it like we preached just last week. You ought to take no time in separating yourself and going after the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priest in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them, about 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On, the day, on that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses in all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that they bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come out of the midst of Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land that the waters of Jordan returned into their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. 
And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What meaneth these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Brother Cole, would you ask the Lord's blessing in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> chapter 4 here in the book of Joshua begins as chapter 3 ends. And that, of course, is beginning with all the children of Israel passing, and I quote the King James Bible, clean over. <laughs> you see that saying there? And what you have here is a saying that you and I would consider to be a southern expression. That's a southern expression if I ever heard of it. Kind of like I reckon and you all. And many others are actually, uh, they're not southern expressions, but they're biblical expressions. Amen. You see, after the Civil War, I don't know if, how much y'all have read history. See, y'all, Larry. Uh, the North went back to their money and their jobs. But most, most of the South was destroyed. So if you ever stop and consider what the South had to go back to, they didn't have anything to go back to. All they had was God and the Bible. So for nearly 100 years after the Civil War, the South kept the King James Bible. And that's why you have the Bible Belt down there. And that's why you have all those biblical expressions coming out of the South for years and years. Unfortunately, by the mid-1900s, materialism set deep into the South. And so now the so-called Bible Belt, uh, unfortunately, couldn't hold up a Southerner's britches, let alone his faith. And that's what happens. Everyone has come to reject the King James Bible. But the South kept it for much longer. However, chapter 4 begins with Israel passing clean over Jordan on dry ground. And the next we see uh, an interesting thing here in the Joshua chapter 4. You see in verse 2 that the Lord has Joshua take 12 men, one a tribe. And they all get a stone probably about the size of a golf, a golf ball, bowling ball. <laughs> I'd probably pick the golf ball, but the bowling ball. And uh, they get that thing from the midst of Jordan by where the, the priests were standing on the dry ground. They get themselves a stone. And you know what they do? They take it up and carry it up on dry ground. That's weird, ain't it? They take it from the middle of that riverbed, which is dry. I imagine it was sandy. It was that dry. I believe that. And they take that thing and they haul them up there and they pile them up there uh, on the west side of Gilgal there. And uh, they put that uh, into the promised land. And then in verse 9, Joshua takes and sets up 12 stones uh, that he got from back where the promised land was. 
and he piles them up in the middle of Jordan. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen, man. Uh, you got rocks from the riverbed going up in the promised land and rocks from the promised land, a little excavation party going on there. But when you get to verse 21, Joshua says, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what meaneth those or these stones? Joshua says in verse 22, then you shall let your children know. So by God's grace, I want to try to preach a message this morning entitled, what meaneth these stones? What meaneth these stones? And in your Christian life, you're going to have to realize that there's others coming up behind us. Uh, whether they're your children, or whether your grandchildren, or whether they're younger believers, you got people coming up behind you. you got people coming up behind us. And I'm afraid, unfortunately, that very, very few Christians have left anything behind to show or serve as a reminder of what verse 24 says. Look at verse 24, the last verse in that chapter. He says, all the, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty. You see, many Christians, they have left no stones, if I could say it like that. They have, are leaving no markers, uh, no nothing to show anybody around what God's truly done for them. I believe there ought to be some stones in your life, some markers of what God's done. Amen. I believe not only stones, that you could go back places. Uh, uh, you ought to leave some stones at an altar. Of course, we're talking figuratively. We're not talking, we're not talking uh, oh, literally. But I believe there should be some stones left at an altar. Amen. There should be times when God got a hold of your heart, whatever it was, and you took time and you swallowed your pride and you swallowed your dignity and what everybody was going to think about you. And you came down to this altar and said, all right, here it is. Lord, you've been so good. And, uh, and you marked that place down. There ought to be some markers. Amen. Uh, that ought to be markers at an altar and so forth and so on. But very few Christians have left any stones, any markers to show anybody what God has truly done for them. Now, I'm not trying to castigate you this morning. I'm just trying to get your attention. I'm trying to maybe just sound a little bit of a clarion call for all Christians here that as the days draw closer for us getting out of here, we ought to have some stones behind us. And uh, when people come up behind us, because even though the days are drawn short and even though the time is short, let me tell you what, they say the darkest hour is just before the dawn. And if we're the light of the world because Jesus Christ lives inside of us, the darker it gets, the brighter our light should shine. But as the days draw close, we have no markers, we have no beacons. We have, seem to have very light, little bit of light left within us. I want to preach about what meaneth these stones. And uh, my desire this morning is just to stir you up. You say, you do realize we're in northern Michigan. Yeah, my desire is still to stir you up. Amen? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's any espresso in this message. Maybe we can pray for some. But I'd like to stir you up through the text. Amen? I want to stir you up through the text. My desire as a preacher is to continually, and I've been trying to do this as long as I possibly know how, is show you that God has something for you in every chapter of this book. And some of it just might require a little bit more digging. Amen? Now, I'm not trying to tell you about making stuff up, but God wants to feed you through His Word. And God wants to strengthen you. He wants to solidify you through His Word. But sometimes it's going to take a little bit more effort than John 3.16. Amen? Sometimes you're going to have to read it and pause and read it and pause and read it and pause, put it down, go work and come back at the end of the day, read it again, and then maybe it'll click. Maybe it won't. Maybe take another day on it. Amen. 
but I want to show you that through the text that uh, you and I ought to leave something behind that will tell this world just how mighty the hand of the Lord was in your life. I want to show you here, uh, so you could call this what meaneth these stones. Let me just say first of all, uh, maybe kind of clerically, in verse uh, number 6, uh, what meaneth these stones? Well, first of all, number 1, they were for a sign. Uh, verse 6 in Joshua chapter 4, that Bible says that this may be a sign among you. <clears throat> I know some of you know this, but I want to cover this because I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm not, I'm not shooting anybody uh, here, but uh, I'm not going to take this time that we have for preaching and turn it into a Bible study, I mean, just because people won't come to either Sunday school, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. But I want to cover this because I believe it's important. Take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These stones are for a sign. Of course, they're to the children of Israel. Amen? You still with me? I hope you didn't throw me out the window already. We've got a long way to go. But first of all, these stones are for a sign. And you see that in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 4. Uh, and many of you know this. But here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, 1 Corinthians 1, 22, the Bible says, For the Jews, what's that word? Require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. Amen. So that's why all of us Gentiles, amen, if you're not a Jew, uh, you, uh, the Jews look for, require a sign, not look for a sign, they require it. And that's why all these Gentiles, it's doctor this and doctor that and higher education and higher education, and the more education you got, uh, you know, the more we'll worship you, so forth and so on. I believe a man ought to have an education, amen. Solomon said that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. <laughs> amen. You ought not be a Christian idiot. <laughs> You ought to have a little bit of sense about you. You ought, to, you ought to have some schooling about you if you can. All right, but that Jew, it requires a sign. And uh, to my understanding, we don't have any Jews with us, amen? Just spiritual ones. But you and I are Gentiles. We're Greeks or Germans or Polish or whatever you are, you know. Whatever, Scandinavian or... Got any Romanians? What in the world is Lambert? What is that, brother? <laughs> What's your ethnicity? <laughs> Okay, there you go. <laughs> but the Bible says Jews require a sign. Now, you know this, but turn back to Exodus chapter 3. A little bit of plowing on the first point here. Just a little bit. Exodus chapter 3. You know that the nation of Israel began with what? Began with a sign. The nation of Israel began with a sign in its leadership. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, and you say, well, what in, what in the world was that? Well, you ever heard of the burning bush? Well, that, that's Moses. And uh, over here in Exodus chapter 3, you see this, uh, the nation of Israel starts with a sign. And Paul said the Jews require a sign. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, he's looking over there at that, that burning bush, and the Bible says, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. That's pretty good feed, ain't it? And then we got about five acres. We'd like to burn over here. <laughs> All that uh, autumn olive stuff come up and just went through there like wildfire. You run through there, man, it'll, it'll skin you with all them thorns on it. But that bush is burned. It wasn't consumed. But here's the thing. The Christian today, he's not a Jew. That Christian's not supposed to look for a sign. You understand that, right? Now, you say, why do you say that? Because you and I lived in such a, can I say the word stupid in church? Just Thank you for your permission. We live in such a stupid generation that you've got Christians looking for signs. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. You got no business looking for a sign. Why? You're not a Jew, man. <laughs> your nation didn't begin with a sign. 
But the old preacher said this. He says, who is the first Jew? Everyone knows who the first Jew is, Abraham and then Moses, so forth and so on. About like, who is the first Polak? <laughs> Nobody knows. Who is the first German? Nobody knows. Nobody even cares. But you know who the first Jew was. And that Jew requires a sign, but not you, Christian. You've got no business, no scriptural basis to be out here in this world looking for signs. Lord, give me a sign. It'll be a good day. Sun's out. It's a good day. You're breathing. That's good enough. Amen? A feller I knew back in uh, Lupton, he moved there with his wife, and at that time had just a couple young daughters, and he said, he said, Jerem, he says, I knew the Lord wanted me to move to Lupton because well, me and my wife, we were driving, and we saw a rainbow. What a moron in the name of Jesus. You say, why? He was out in two months. You're not supposed to be looking for a sign. I saw a rainbow, uh, was it that day it just poured? Was it Friday? What does that mean? It just reminded me God's not going to flood the earth again. He said, does it mean you're going to need to play the lottery? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what's at the end of the rainbow? The ground. <laughs> I'm just saying, Christian, you understand today, you're not supposed to be looking for a sign. The Bible tells you, you know what you're supposed to be looking for? The blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Divine review, you know this, right? But stop looking for signs if you are, please. You're making yourself look silly. That Jew requires a sign, but the Greek seeks after wisdom. And that Jewish nation began with a sign, but you and I are supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. What is it, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6? The Bible says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Did you receive him by a sign? Oh, no. You received him by grace through faith. So 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by as you, as you received him. That's how you're supposed to walk in him. You see, it's not just faith to get saved. Thank God for it, that you trusted Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then once you are saved, you're supposed to then walk by faith. You're supposed to live by faith. Amen? That's what you're supposed to do. But these stones in the text, they were for a sign. Not only that, but let me give you number two. Uh, they were for a sign, and very like the first one, they're for a memorial, the Bible says. Look at verse 7. These stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel. You say, well, what's a memorial? Well, it's like a memory. The, the, uh, the dictionary says a memorial is that which preserves the memory of something. First of all, this memorial, if you look at verse 22 in Joshua chapter 4, verse 22, that memorial was meant for the next generation. Whatever God's done in your life, Thank him for it. Hang on to it. You might write some of it down. But even more important, you have to pass that on to the next generation. You know where we're struggling in Christianity in 2023? We haven't passed much on. We passed on our debt. We passed on our bad habits. We passed on our inability to be faithful and to be regular. We're doing all right this morning. I'm trying to do some preaching here, but we have failed to pass on what God has done for us. You say, what do you mean? How about the times that God's provided for you and you won't open your mouth to anybody about it? I, sometimes I get on such great conviction. The Lord's been so good to me and He's provided more than just financial means. But if I won't open my mouth and tell my children about it, how are they even going to know to trust Him? How are they even going to know that they can get through I had a preacher tell me a while back, he's like, he said, listen, he says, if you're going to go out and live for Jesus Christ, uh, you can't 
you can't save yourself. I'm not talking about salvation either. A man that seeks his life shall lose it. See, you know what happens in the life of many Christians? They're like, oh, I got to have it. I got to have this. 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 And I got to have this standard of living. And I want to add God into it a little bit. So I want to try to please him too. It don't work like that. If you're going to go after Jesus Christ, and if you're going to save your life in the sense, you're going to have to lose it. If you're going to go after and try to get other people saved, you're going to have to take your hands off your life and let God do what he wants with it. And then when he blesses you, you better tell your kids about it. You better tell your grandkids about it. I remember back in the day, we didn't have two nickels to rub together, and God provided through groceries some of the most special times in my life. God doesn't always provide like that, but you know what? He's done it more than once. I've had friends uh, be good to me. I've had people uh, give me work. I've had uh, people pay a bill for me. And if he's done that for you, say amen. You got something to pass on is what I'm saying. It's a memorial. You got some stones. First off, this memorial is meant for the next generation. Then I want you to see in verse 22, the memorial was to remember what happened. You see, not only the next generation, but the memorial focused on the event that took place. And in verse 22, the Bible says, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. All right, it's like this. I tell you what, I remember a time in my life where I was so poor I couldn't pay attention. And you know what happened? Voila, I went to church and I came back and there's groceries in the house. He said, preacher, you don't need no groceries. Oh, I, well, that's another message for another day, amen. But my wife did, my kids did. Doing the best I could. It focuses not only on telling the next generation, but it focuses on you telling what happened. What happened? What's the miracle? I trusted God and He provided. I gave and God provided. I told someone about the Lord and God uh, showed fruit. And I gave my life for Him and I'm not ashamed of it. It focuses on what happened. Not only does it focus on what happened in verse 22, but look here next in verse 23. This memorial was for to remember who made it happen. Not only was it, hey, a bill's paid. Hey, a, mir a miracle took place. Hey, I'm not in the jam anymore. Hey, my conscience is better now. Hey, I feel better. But it's because of God. It's because of Jesus Christ. It's not because I'm a great person. It's not because, you know, I've just been working on myself and I've been getting a little better. I wasn't what I should be, but it focuses on who did it. And in your Christian life, if you're honest with yourself, you ought to be in hell with your back broke right now. It's God who's done everything for you, and we're nothing in of ourselves. I don't care if you think you're getting better. If you are, it's because God's helping you get better. It focuses on who did it, who done it. How are we supposed to say that thing? Who made it happen? Finally, notice at this memorial in verse 24, this memorial was not only meant for the next generation, but in verse 24, it broadens out as meant for the whole world. Meant for the whole world. Verse 24, the Bible says that all the people of the earth might know. You ever told anyone, you ever, you ever told anyone, any, any lost person what the Lord's done for you? You ever get around some of your family and they're lost? And you just like excited, tell them what God's done for you. And they're like, cool, man. <laughs> it's great. You ever tell someone at the workplace that? That'll shut her down in a heartbeat. I'll tell you what, on the contrary, I used to work with this company uh, and I used to have so much windshield time driving trucks in the late 90s and every time they got somebody, uh, they, they thought I was smart. I just showed up. That's really all it was. Amen. That's all you got to do anymore is show up and you own the company in five years. 
And because I was always there and showing up, I had trained people, right? Oh, go, go with Evans. He's the, he's the trainer. They didn't pay anymore. Just helped get some of your work done. And I get in there, and I was at least 13 hours behind that wheel, in and out of stores, delivering products. Even delivered old Ashcrafts out there. And I get in there and say, what'd you do? I'd start at Genesis, and by the end of the day, I'd probably try to get to Revelation with a guy, and half the people that came across, they were lost. And I'd start telling them what God was doing in my life. Not all the time. Sometimes I was backslid like, amen, some of y'all are, amen. But I'd tell them what God's done. That's a joke. You can laugh. And I'd tell them what God did for me, and they're like, they didn't know what to say. They're just like, let this guy go, man. And I get a, I get a stretch between uh, Charlevoix and East Jordan. That's about, what, 25 minutes there. And, uh, and man, I go for about 20 minutes. And then we get from East Jordan. We go from there to, what is it, Kalkaska there. And from Kalkaska to Grayling. And then Grayling to West Branch. And I'm, I'm just telling you what God's done for me. And he's been so good to me. But you say, they all get saved? No, some of them did. I'm just saying, look, it's for the whole earth to know. Just not your kids. Now listen, if your kids know, that's an awesome thing, but now it's time to tell somebody else what God's done for you. When was the last time you were able to testify of God's goodness to someone else besides your family? There's a story about old Mac Johnson, a preacher up in the hills of North Carolina, and he, he was a traveling, traveling evangelist, and he had an old pair of shoes on, and he uh, had a hole right in the toe. And he'd sit up there, and old-timers, they'd sit up there in the... Uh, you know, up on the, on, the, on the platform there. Man, when I came here and I got up there, I don't want no one looking at me. I came down. They're going to have to look at me long enough. I don't want to sit up there, you know, man. I took all the chairs out and took all the... Anyways, whatever, Mac Johnson's up there, and he's sitting up there and kind of elevated, and he just kind of crossed his leg right there and a little white sock sticking through the shoe there, you know, and that some, some lady saw Reverend Johnson need a pair of shoes. So he got done preaching, don't even know what he preached, got to the back door, and a lady, an old farmer, a pair of bib overalls, stuck a $100 bill in his hand, shook his hand, said, well, figure you need some shoes. Boy, was he excited. He said, man, I'm going to give you a new pair of shoes. Looked at his wife, says, honey, I'm going to get you a dress too, amen. And so he gets out there and gets in that old Buick, he was driving there and driving down the road and just grinning. He passes by this little big old color lady with a bunch of, Little kids run around the road, car stalls right out. <laughs> and he's like, man, what's wrong with this car? And he gets there, and this colored lady walks up there. Hi, preacher. Hi, ma'am. How are you? Good. That Buick fires up, and he gets a little farther down, bleh, dies again. And the Holy Spirit says, Matt, give her that money. And he's like, what? <laughs> he says, give that lady that money. And he's like, yeah, forget it, Lord. And he tries to fire that thing up, dumps the clutch again. It wouldn't start. She walks up again and says, are you all right, preacher? He goes, yeah, I'm all right. The Lord told me to give you this. He gives her that $100 bill, man. She starts dancing around in the middle of the road. All them little uh, kids of her start dancing around in the middle of the road, and they're all having a fit and praising God. And Matt goes and fires up that Buick, and boom, fires her up, and down the road he went. And the, uh, you say, why do you tell us that? He says, well, Mac Johnson was thinking. He said, Lord, why'd you let me keep that? He says, well, maybe if you acted like her, I'd let you keep it. Amen. <laughs> when was the last time you told someone what he'd done for you? What he did for you? When was the last time you gave someone a stone? 
What meaneth these stones? You got any stones in your life you've given to people to show how good God's been to you? Are you, you love God because He's who He is, or do you just love the Lord for His blessings? Well, therefore, a memorial, not only a sign, a memorial, but notice this in verse 23, they represented a resurrection. They represented a resurrection. The Bible says in verse 23, until you were passed over. Now, going into that water, going into that riverbed there where the Jordan River flowed, that's a picture of, that's a picture of death. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we touched a little bit on this last week. The Bible says, uh, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And the interesting thing there in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11, if you look at it right now, you notice the first thing down into that riverbed, which is dry because the water came back and that whole thing dried up, was the ark, and the last thing out was the ark, wasn't it? You say, yes, we know the story, preacher. Okay, you know what that is? That's a picture of Jesus Christ. He says he's the author and finisher of our faith. Didn't he say in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the... I'm sorry, the first and the last. Ain't that something? That's Jesus Christ in that ark right there. And that thing goes in first. They all go through, and he comes out last. That's a picture of Jesus Christ perishing, or that's a picture of the ark perishing while everyone else is getting life. You see it? That's a beautiful picture. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. The spiritual lesson here for the believer is that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. And that ark is a picture of the ark perishing and the people escaping death. But of course, that's what Jesus Christ did for you and for me and for everyone else who receives it. But not only that, going, if going into the water pictures death and burials pictured by those stones. Doesn't everybody have a grave stone? Right? Remember over there in the book of Exodus when all the Egyptians, uh, they were taken off after Israel? You know the Bible says around verse 5 or 15, 15, 5 I think it is, they sank as a stone. Isn't it interesting about that gravestone? You ever thought about gravestones? Now there, there are some variations, but the majority of them, you know what direction they face? They face east. You say, why? I wonder why. Someone's expecting a resurrection. You know, on that gravestone, you know what there is? There's writing on the stone, isn't there? You know, here lies, you know, you know, Lester Moore, shot dead with a 44, something like that. No less, no more, something like that. You know, there's writing on, on that stone, right? And just like there's writing in that book for us. Isn't that interesting? Well, going into the water pictures death and burials pictured by the stones. Think about this, Joshua taking those 12 stones, and I had a thought about getting 12 stones, but then I'd just be sweating all over the place. And he'd take them 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan. He hauls them up and piles them up on the promised land, the west side of Gilgal. That represents a resurrection. Now, this is the coolest thing. I didn't come up with this, but this is cool when I saw this. I didn't come up with it. We know that they crossed at Beth Arbor. That's the place of the fords, okay? We also know that Jesus Christ was baptized at Beth Arbor. That's John. And uh, was it Luke chapter 3 and verse 8? John the Baptist gets to preaching 1,450 years later. You know what he says? That God is able to raise children out of these 
stones. I wonder if those stones are still there. I wonder if all the children of Israel knew it. Ain't that something? You ever read your Bible and go, where in the world they come up with those stones? What's he talking Stones. It's like gravel road or something. He was at the same place where they put them stones up. I'm telling you, it's a picture of a resurrection. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Go read that thing later. Well, going into the water pictures death and burials pictured by the grave, stones. Joshua hauling those 12 stones out of that riverbed and pulling them up in the promised land. That's a picture of the resurrection. What is Colossians 2, 12? says, ye are risen with him. Colossians 3, 1 says, if you then be risen with Christ. Wasn't that over in Acts chapter 7 and verse 45 where it says that Jesus is the one that brought them out? And all the Bible correctors go nuts because they're like, oh, we know that Jesus didn't bring them out. It was Joshua, but Acts chapter 7 verse 45, it says that Jesus brought them out. You know what Joshua means? Jehovah saves. Ain't that something? It's a picture of a resurrection. Not only that, but notice this number four here. What meaneth these stones? It's a, it's a sign. It's a memorial. It's a picture of a resurrection. Notice that it represents the unity of Israel. The unity of Israel. Redeemed and ransomed as one unit, one nation. Look at Exodus chapter 28. I'll show you this. Exodus chapter 28. Now you're getting both some practical and some doctrinal stuff this morning. It represents the nation of Israel in its unity. Exodus chapter 28. You get over here in Exodus chapter 28 and they're talking about uh, the high priest's garments. I know, real exciting, right? It's like what you want to read your kids before you go to bed, right? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying what you won't say, amen, because we're in church, you know. <laughs> and uh, the high priestly garments there in uh, Exodus chapter 28. And I, I didn't write the verses down here, but uh, here in Exodus uh, chapter 28, look at verse 21. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve, according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. You see, it represents their unity. That's why I took one tribe, one man from every tribe. That's Exodus 28. I'll look at this one here. I'll give you a couple more. First Kings 18. There's something about these stones. It represents unity for the nation of Israel. First Kings chapter uh, number 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Aren't you glad you have a Bible that defines all of this? 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning. And this, uh, this is Elijah on uh, a shootout at the OK Corral here. 18, look at verse 30. 30 and 31. Bible says here in 30, uh, 30. It says, Elijah said, unto, <clears throat> Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. It's a picture of unity. He took twelve, tri- uh, 12 stones, one from every tribe. I'll give you another one. Go to Revelation 21. Now in the New Jerusalem, you've got a real interesting thing. You've got twelve foundations. And every foundation is a different stone, a precious stone. That's a weird thing. Isn't it funny? Everyone wears precious stones on their fingers. Here in heaven, you're going to walk on them. (laughs) Isn't that wild? Uh, Revelation 21. Look at verse uh, 19 and 20. 21, 19, and 20. The Bible says here in 21, 19, 
and the foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, uh, and you got it first, so forth, all the way down to the 12 uh, in verse 21. And you know what those are? Each, uh, each foundation bears one of the names of the 12 apostles in uh, Revelation 21.4. It represents Israel and its unity. What meaneth these stones? What's the big deal about these stones? Well, it represents Israel and its unity, ransomed and redeemed as one unit. And, of course, uh, in Matthew 19.28, each apostle rules over one of the 12 tribes during the millennium. You say, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. If you're not careful with your theology, you'll get to thinking that all the promises belong to you, the physical promises, and they don't. And you'll get to believe in this garbage called replacement theology. And that's where they say the church has replaced Israel, which it never has and never will. But these stones represent Israel as one unit redeemed uh, in his unity. And uh, <clears throat> that is the absolute truth. But let me show you this one here. This is what uh, one got a hold of me this week. Uh, this is number five. What meaneth these stones? Okay, preacher, a sign, great. Signs aren't for us. It's a memorial. Yes, I can see the, I can see the typology. I can see the picture. And then, of course, you got, uh, you know, number three, uh, uh, number three, which was uh, resurrection. Okay, that's a good one, preacher. But this whole thing about unity, all right, let's put this one on. Look at verse 24 in uh, Joshua chapter 4. You got to have some stones in your life. Lord, got to hold my heart back in 2000, 2001. I say got to hold my heart in a very, to me it was a special way. I was sick and tired of just the same old, same old. I don't know if you've ever been down that road before, living your Christian life, and you've got to say there's got to be more to the Christian life than this. I get up, I go to work, try to read my Bible, try to pray, mess up, fess up, do it all over again, right? I understand that's routine duty. Don't fall off the wagon. But I said, Lord, I, I want to go farther. I want to go after it. I, I, I want to take another step. I am tired of being where I am. And it's like something took place. I'm not talking about some fuzzy chicken skin feeling. But the Lord began to show me some things out of my Bible that took me to a different level. You say, you think you're better? I, uh, it was spiritually better. I felt closer to him, and then all of a sudden the trouble came. <laughs> but I, I don't know if you've ever been there or not. But this thing meant a lot to me when I saw it here. If you look at Joshua chapter 4, and then you look here in verse 24, I want you to see what meaneth these stones. Well, they're put there to scare them. You say, that's really great, preacher. We're glad you were scared. Well, I'm just telling you, in verse 24, the reason he put them stones there is that the people of Israel might fear the Lord forever. Can I say this? A man is a fool to not fear God. Now, immediately, Christians are going to check out. I don't want you to do that. I want you to stay right with me. I'm almost done here. I got maybe 10 minutes and we're done. We're out of here, okay? 1210, that's pretty good. A man is a fool to not fear God. And the reason a lot of Christians check out at this point is because we have, I say we as preachers, have not done a good job preaching and teaching that thing. And you know the world's not going to teach it. And your television set's not going to teach it. And family's not going to teach it. And if preachers aren't teaching it, then who's going to teach it? A man is a fool to not fear God. The Bible says, I'll give you four verses, and you can either write them down, but I'm not even going to turn there. Uh, Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Twice in the Bible. I'll say it again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom? Then you're going to have to learn to fear God. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Old preacher said like this, until you fear God, 
you don't know nothing at all. And you better think about that one. You can, have, you can have knowledge just like the devil was full of worldly wisdom, but that's not what we're talking about. Job chapter 28, verse 28, he says, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. What meaneth these stones? They are put there to scare them. You know, can I say it like this? <clears throat> some of us in our Christian life have done some dumb things. And I'm saying us because I have to, I have to be in the same batch, amen? And the consequences of that thing sometimes are the only thing that keeps you from going back to it. The fact that when you got out of the hog pen, you smelled like a bunch of hog dewy was the only thing that scared you from going back. You ought to fear God like that. You shall quiet a God? You ought to fear God like that. It ought to scare you. Oh, no. No, we, we can't be scared. We're, we're positive Christians. Smile FM. Right? Everything's positive. Positive hits. Positive hits. You ought to be scared when it comes to your walk with God. You ought to fear God. If you had parents that loved you, stay with me now. If you had parents that cared about you and they corrected you the biblical way, you didn't go, I'm thankful. You feared them. Well, I just don't think, and that's your problem. You ought to fear God. You feared your parents if they corrected you the way that God told them to. If not, you don't. And so you don't, you, you don't understand. I see it every day. Some of you see it every day. I see it generation full of children that have had no correction whatsoever. They do not fear God. They do not fear parents. They do not fear teachers. So when you tell them to do something, blankety blank you, why should I listen to you? And they walk away. And I'm balling up my fists and putting them in my pocket. Amen. I told that to the old man, y'all would have come to my funeral when I was eight. But a man is a fool not to fear God. But you live in a day when even Christians don't fear God. Now, I know I'm not telling some of you anything new. Amen. So this is just divine review. And you're like, amen, preacher, tell them, get them. But you live in a day and age when even Christians do not fear God. And so as a consequence, the Christian will quote the verse like 1 John 4.18. I'll even give you the reference. 1 John 4.18, and they'll say, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. You see, preacher, you're not supposed to fear. Yes, Einstein, but the fear that that's talking about in verse 17 is the fear of you going to hell if you're saved. Now, if you're saved, you're not going to hell, so you don't have to fear going to hell. Well, preacher, didn't you just teach us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of Solomon. Yes, but that spirit of fear has to do with Timothy being willing to fulfill his ministry because men in Ephesus were despising his youth. Doesn't mean you don't fear God. And then you get the Christians that say, well, you know, fearing God is an Old Testament thing. Really? Is that why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we're to fear God? I'm sorry, Ephesians 5. Better look at my notes. I'm straying. Is that why uh, the Lord said in Ephesians 5.21? And how about 2 Corinthians 7.1? Let us fear God because it's an Old Testament thing. You see how we've gotten away from it? 
You say, well, how are we supposed to learn about fearing God? That's where the Old Testament comes in. You learn to fear God in the Old Testament. You're told to fear God in the New Testament. But let me tell you what, the average Christian doesn't fear God. And I'm not telling you from the standpoint that I have it all down, so I am therefore the show pony. I'm saying, look, now you live in a day and age where even Christians do not fear God. And I know some people are going, well, thank you, Mr. Obvious. But we have to conclude that in closing that fearing God is being terrified. Oh, preacher, I don't agree with you. I understand. 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see that word? Terror. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Do you fear God this morning? Are you terrified of him? Fearing God is being terrified, number one, and scared, number two. Hebrews 12, 21, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You think Moses was a little bit nervous in the service? I'm not talking about fearing a preacher. I'm talking about fearing God. That word fear encompasses terrified and being scared. You've got another line of Christians out there and say, well, what fear really is, is it's reverence and holy uh, fear and uh, how's that thing go in Hebrews 12, 28. It's a holy awe and it's a holy reverence. No, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, that reverence and fear are two totally different things. Yes, you should reverence the Lord, but you should fear him too. What meaneth these stones? They're meant to scare you. More Christians should be scared straight. If you had a problem with something and days gone by, the consequences of the, your action should scare you from doing it again. Well, I'm much better now. Are you? You're not if you don't fear it. Every time we get a new saw, you know what I tell the boys? Respect. You better be afraid of that saw or else you'll cut your arm off. you cut your leg off. You get behind a 2,000-pound vehicle, you ought to be afraid of that thing. You ought to fear it. It'll not only kill you, but it'll kill others. I'm saying the fear of God works the same way. It ought to terrify you. It ought to scare you, but I'm not going to stay there. Fearing God is being so terrified and scared of a being who can make a furnace hotter than the sun and put you in it. You realize that? You believe God made the earth and all that stuff? Yes, sir, preacher, I believe in creation. You believe God made a furnace hotter than the sun itself and he can put you in there if he wanted to? That's Psalm chapter 9, verse 17. All the nations that forget God, you're going to put in hell. That's being terrified, and that's being scared. You say, how so? Well, it's like this. You're so terrified, and you're so scared, not that you can't walk, and you're shaking all over the place, so much so that you, number one, you watch your step. You ever been afraid of ice on the road? Sure you have. You live in northern Michigan. What do you do? You slow down, don't you? You're watching your step. Not only that, you don't watch your step because you're terrified and you're scared. But number two, you avoid violating his holiness and righteousness as much as possible. You see that? That means you're scared of him, you're terrified of him, and you do something about it. Now, that's where it stops. That's where, that's where, the, that's where it meets the fan. You fear God enough to do something about it. Christians today, I'm afraid many don't fear God. What about these stones? 
Well, they're meant to scare you. Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride. Really, preacher? Yeah. You know what we do in this country? We celebrate pride. We invite pride into places that it has no business being. If you think for 30 seconds, I'm going to invite pride in here, you're nuts! I hate it! Well, you shouldn't hate people. I didn't say hate people. I hate that. Why? I fear God. Amen. Do what you want with it. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride, arrogancy, and the evil way in the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And finally, Proverbs 16, 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and the fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When you fear God, it takes you away from evil. You know what Christians do today? They try to shimmy up as close to it as possible. Well, I'm not sinning yet. I'm not sinning yet. Oh, by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. That means you go the other way. We're doing all right this morning. What meaneth these stones? Meant to scare you. You know what this country needs? A little bit of fear. That's why when the Twin Towers fell, the churches were actually full once. For what, two weeks? Oh, oh, building program. And then they went back to doing whatever it was they're doing. Fear of the Lord. You say, you looking for a catastrophe? No, I'm looking for the upper taker, amen. Now again, as I close, a man is an absolute fool who will not fear the Lord. What meaneth these stones? How about you? You got any stones this morning? As we close today, I'm going to have a hymn invitation played. And I don't know if you'd like to or not. And Maybe you'd like to come to this altar. And if you do, I want you to come. What meaneth these stones, preacher? It's kind of a weird text. Well, they mean a number of things throughout the text. But what do they mean to you? you have any stones of memorial in your life that remind you of the mighty hand of God? Any points and places and times in your life that you need to pass on to others? Do you have any stones that scare you straight? You know, in uh, the company that I worked for uh, for almost 20 years, we had a, a segment once a month called Close Calls. It was a safety meeting. And they encouraged conversation around close calls without repercussions, right? You know, like before it was illegal, guys would be like, yeah, I was texting my wife, and I almost, see what I mean? Some of them stones should scare you straight, Christian. The thought of walking away from God, the thought of doing the thing that's in your mind, and the consequences it could create, it ought to scare you half to death. One well, minute these stones, as she plays, if the Lord's speaking to your heart this morning, why don't you come talk to him? Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for what